You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast, post-draft edition. We figure we've been talking about the NFL draft for the last three months, so got to condense all of the thoughts, all of the takes, all of what's going on moving forward into one. I'm sure we'll sprinkle it in over the next coming weeks, too, but a big focus of uh, this podcast will certainly be uh, last week's NFL draft. We'll break down each pick. We'll talk about what they accomplished as a whole over the past week. And also, of course, talk about some interesting free agents. I have my eye on one in particular, naturally. You guys could probably all pick uh, who that is if you know the free agent class and you know me. But first, we will start with the news uh, that kind of came out of some media availability this week, uh, specifically talking about Darius Leonard, who spoke with uh, Colts Media for the first time this offseason, talked about his ankle, and that ankle injury is still recovering. It is not uh, not fixed yet. It is not fully healed yet. It's been three months since the end of the season. That has not been enough time to heal what was wrong with Darius that really lasted for the entire season. Uh, he was asked about the, uh, the ankle, and his quote was, it's still attached, which is honestly what he said. Yeah, it, it, Joe just winced, and uh, that probably should be the reaction from everybody uh, because that's what it was pretty much all what he said last year that it's still attached, it's still attached. He says he's focusing on strengthening up. He says he does not need another procedure to clean up anything that's going on in there. Um, Chap, I think it's... Maybe you as a fan would feel better if there was just an easy way to say, oh, he needed another procedure, he got that done, another surgery, and now they're just waiting for the surgery to heal. At this point, it's... If if nothing's been nothing's really been done about it, it just makes you nervous. Even if the doctors, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it makes you nervous. Even if the doctors say that that's what is needed, you know, rest, rehabilitation, strengthening of that area, instead of just something that you can go in, slice things open, and say, hey, it's going to be great in 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 X amount of time. This was clearly an issue that affected Darius throughout last season, and it's uh, something that he is still dealing with throughout this off season as well. Yeah, what what he you know what he said though on the surgery he said I hope not. So he he didn't rule it out. I mean that, that that's you know he said if we do we do if we don't we don't. That's what I don't want to hear. I mean if you needed surgery then you have surgery in in February. You know so that you have extra time because he had the first he had the second surgery clean up last year in mid June I believe it was, and it and it bothered him like you said all year. I mean, he he was held out of training camp a lot, so I, I there were a lot of things he said that raised my radar. But that's the one that just I thought, really, here we are. You know, the first week of May, and it it's it's. He's, I think he said I'm better now than I was when I went into last year. So I I, I would like to have had more definite. Uh, hey, it's 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 fine. You know, it's I'm not worried about it. It's fine. And when he said, you know, somebody said, well, do you, do you, will there need to be another cleanup surgery? He said, well, I hope not. Well, again, if you're going to have cleanup surgery, have the surgery. So we'll see. But you know, maybe I'm making too much out of it. But whenever your, your defensive mainstay still is dealing with an ankle five months, four and a half months after the season, I think you should be a little concerned. You, you just have to be. And Darius still had a, a very good year. I'm not taking last year entirely away. Heck, he was a first-team All-Pro for crying out loud. He, I believe, he led the league in forced fumbles. Um, he really had a had a fantastic year on the field. But uh, I, one one thing that Darius also touched on 
was really his his mental state throughout the year, and his ankle was part of that. Um, said just dealing with the ankle was tough. He had several family issues. Mentioned people were in the hospital or passed away. Um, he said that he had fallen out of love for the game during last year, said I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And we encourage you certainly to, to get the full story online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Also, our photographer, Brett Bensley, who's on Twitter, at Brett Bensley, kind of tweeted out the entire soundbite that Darius uh, had to say there about uh, about his offseason so that we have several uh, avenues that you can you can get the full-fledged Darius Leonard explanation for what this was. Uh, but in Joe, the videos in the story as well. Okay, great, great, fantastic. So you can go online and find it there, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com, and uh, and check out exactly what Darius had to say. But but Joe, it was it was a lot of Darius talked like last year really weighed on him. Said he was not a good leader last year, and um, it, it was it was. It, it was opening. I th- thought Darius was honest and, and he was open with us, which is great, uh, which is what you always want to see from from players. But it certainly showed how how last year he, he was not at his best um, in, in things that were behind the scenes. And it, it might not have completely le- um, affected his uh, ability to become a first team all pro, but it, it definitely uh, hindered his performance, he thought, in in different avenues as well. Yeah, it sounded like he individually still did what he needed to do to perform on the field. Um, But maybe in certain aspects, he felt like he could have done more as a leader if he didn't have the -the off-the-field distractions of people in your family being sick or in the hospital and passing away. He talked about, you know, during certain points in the year, it needs to be all football. And it can't be all football when things are happening with your family. So it's kind of interesting and good to see the peel back behind the curtain of what a lot of these guys deal with. I'm sure there are many players in the NFL um, feeling these kind of feelings, Darius Leonard and his campaigning for mental health. It's okay to not be okay um, that he wears pridefully all the time. He really opened up on what he was feeling last year and you got to feel for him uh, and just kind of hope that, you know, he learned how to deal with things mentally and can move forward and still have a successful career and not let these things weigh on him. I, you know, you obviously got to feel for the person first and then hope that he learns from his experiences and knows how to deal with things because life is always going to come up during the football season. So um, it was interesting, and I'm glad that Darius opened up in that way. Mike, did you have any takeaways from anything else Darius had to say? Or well, let's see, we, we talked with um, Reggie Wayne as well, which was noteworthy. Uh, we talked with Naheem Hines uh, this week. But anything else from Darius or from uh, some of those other folks that uh, piqued your interest? Yeah, and, it, and it's a rabbit hole. I don't want to go down too deep because – That's fine. We don't have to. We have a lot of draft re- stuff to talk about. But but it, he, he went into great – near the end when he really opened up where he said he's sort of learned how to not let things bother him and – He's put up a fence, and he and he's really tried to get to the point where things don't bother him. Well, then he had some reaction to things on Twitter that that bothered him, and he he, he took some shots at some local media. He, I don't think he used any names. I don't think I didn't check all. He of did it. not. I know what you're saying. But, he did not. But but you know you know he he gave praise to among people with with Brett with putting the whole thing out there, but. He he just made it sound like the local media still takes shots at him, and I I, I swear, this is one we, we I had this discussion with Marvin Harrison one time, back in the day where he said, "Oh, you guys in the media, you're always backstabbing." I said, "Who? 
well, you know. I said, no, who? And w whenever they don't give you names, you're wondering, what are you talking about? And that's my only my only criticism of him is, is, is who are you upset with? What did they say? I read most of the, almost all the stories that we all put out there. And we all mentioned how, how it was such a tough year, how he needed to, how he said he needed to grow mentally and, and get stronger. And I just don't know where the, the, the confrontation comes from. And that's as far down the rabbit hole. I think I want to go. That's fine with me. Let, let's pivot then to Reggie Wayne and uh, and Naheem Hines. Naheem says he uh, he didn't think he did much different last year, even though his production was way down. Reggie Wayne uh, now coaching this group of wide receivers. He's coming in, not not even an assistant coach, chap. He's full fledged receivers coach. Um, Reggie was his typical amazing self. <laughs> I mean, he had plenty of great things to say, and uh, I, I loved him uh, talking about uh, just his. his uh, his strategy, I guess, with these guys, he's saying that he's a little bit more old school, um, like uh, talked about not doing things just for for social media's purpose, but for really getting to work and trying to encourage his guys to do that, too, because he grew up in a different uh, a different generation in the NFL. He was coached by, among others, Clyde Christensen, the question that you asked about kind of his coaching, um, his coaching background. So R Reggie was uh, he he's still winning the interview. It's it remained to be seen whether he can coach wide receivers, because this is truly him jumping into the deep end, having never really done it before full time as a coach, certainly in the NFL or at any level. We when he was here, we always used to have Fridays with Reggie. That's when his assigned time sort of to talk with the media was it was like one o'clock, two o'clock on Fridays when basically your work was done and you were ready to quit. But he always gave you time, quality time, and good stuff. We're gonna find that out as the season goes on when we can talk to Reggie and the assistant coaches. But the one question I I mentioned or I asked him and. It was brought up by Chris Ballard during, I think it was Pro Day or whatever it was. I said, you have to kind of watch that these guys can't do what you did. They can't do it at the level you did or maybe the way you did it. And he said that's what Chris Ballard told him maybe a couple of years ago when, when they were entertaining this thought is just do, you know, teach them the way you teach them, but understand that you were, you were unique like Marvin Harrison was unique and on and on. So. And the one thing that was really interesting, and he brought it up, he said, this is just me talking, not the room, but they feel disrespected because we've all talked about it. It's, it's been Michael Pittman and who? A bunch of guys without T.Y. Hilton. So he's kind of given us the idea that these receivers ha have been paying attention and they know that primarily people on the outside are really concerned about the, the level of depth the experience and the resumes of these guys. And they're going to get out to kind of prove that either we're wrong or at least that these guys are who the coaches think they can be. Listen to me uh, when we talk about the Colts receiving room and the quote-unquote disrespect. And I heard that as these guys feel like they've been disrespected. If anything, they've been given too much respect because the, the I, leading I receiver from last year, Michael, nearly 1,100 receiving yards. The next leading wide receiver returning to the team is Ashton Doolin, who had 173. Okay? That's the level of respect you have right now. That's the level of respect you deserve right now. And if you want to say, if you think you can do better, then great. But you haven't earned anything more than that. You haven't earned anything more than the level of being 173 yards in a season. You want to do better? Great. Go do better and earn that respect. 
but you don't have it right now. And Joe, I think you're among the group and, and among many people that think that this wide receiving group has a lot of talent, has a lot of potential. But if, if in fact, that people are really hemming and hawing in the wide receiver room about a lack of respect, I don't get it at all because I just don't think they've earned it. I think Pittman is a very fine receiver. We've talked about him that way in the past and throughout the offseason as well. Happy to have him on this team. But after him, there's nothing. And Pittman hasn't proven that he's a consistent downplay big threat, number one. He averaged only 12 yards per catch last year. He had a lot of catches, which is great. But that's why everyone thought it was a big deal this offseason to to upgrade the receiving core. And it's why they spend a, dra a draft pick in the second round on Alec Pierce, which we'll get to in a minute. But any talk about a lack of respect, they haven't earned any respect, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being ornery. But I, that that's how I see it. Yeah, and I hope it's just kind of being used as a motivational tactic right now. Like, these guys don't respect you. You got to go out. You got to work. You got to earn everything you get. And, you know, I think Reggie Wayne would know a lot about that. I mean, you talk about respect. It's not like there's first, second, or even, you know, third-round picks waiting in the wing here other than Paris Campbell, who his lack of respect is more towards respect towards his body's ability to stay healthy, not really his ability on the football field. But we're talking about Strawn, who was a seventh-round pick. We're talking about uh, Patman, who was, what, a sixth or seventh-round pick? Sixth, I believe, yeah. Sixth-round pick. So it's not like the Colts even invested highly in these guys, and they were highly-touted prospects coming out. So they got to go earn everything they get, and there's a, there's a reason that wide receiver has been circled in red as the biggest hole on this team for months now. Let's get to the 2022 NFL Draft. The Colts began the draft with seven picks, and it did not take Chris Ballard long to get busy, get traded, get moving around. Uh, they traded their 42nd overall pick there in the second round and pick number 122. That was a fourth round pick. So a second and a fourth to Minnesota for moving back in the second round, 11 spots to 53. They gain a third round pick. And also they gain a pick 192, which I believe was either a fifth or a sixth round. I think it was a sixth round pick, if I recall correctly. So in the second round there at 53 overall, after they move back, they take Cincinnati wide receiver Alec Pierce. Pierce turned 22 years old just this past Monday, 6'3", 211 pounds. He ran a 4-4-1 40-yard dash at the Combine. And if you watch the Colts with the next pick segment, he ran a little bit even faster than that. Uh, in some of their uh, the tapes that they had on him, I think they said a four two eight sometime at one point that uh, he was able to was that him no was that I think that was actually Nick Cross here's me here's me shutting up about that four two eight we'll get to Nick Cross a little bit later but Alec Pierce four four one still for six three is is a is a very fast very big man um, chap when you uh, look at Alec Pierce. It is going to be two big players around the outside with him and uh, Michael Pittman Jr. teamed up. It looks like the outside receivers, um, the Colts have their ideas about who they who they want uh, Matt Ryan or whatever quarterback they have to be thrown to over the next 10 years. It's those two guys. Yeah, I thought what was really interesting is I think Chris Ballard and even maybe people on, on TV were talking about the versatility of Alec Pierce, where he can play outside, he can move in the slot and work really well in the slot. And then we talked to, to Alec, and he sort of said he didn't do a lot of work in the slot. He was primarily outside. And then Frank Reich said, no, I view him as an outside guy. He thinks that's where he's really going to, you know, excel. So, you know, we'll see how much they work in the slot. Ideally, that's Paris Campbell, the slot. 
ideally, but but I mean, who knows? And I thought also one of the winners on draft weekend was T.Y. Hilton because if Alec Pierce is the outside complement to, to Michael Pittman, then T.Y. could be very easily a quality slot guy. So we'll see how that goes. Of course, he's still unsigned. But, again, for all the people that we that, that we have been projecting, receiver, 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 we got the guy. Whether that was the one we thought, I think I, I had them taking Pierce with my second pick. Uh, I, had him, I think I had Christian Watson, I think, initially as as, in, as the first, second-round pick. But it had to be receiver, and they've got a guy that's got outside deep threat potential, and that's what they had to have. Joe, when you look at Pierce, I know he's a guy, like Chap mentioned, showed up in some of our mock drafts. What did you see leading into the drafts? How do we think he fits in here with the Colts? Yeah, he was really used as a deep threat at Cincinnati. Um, get down the field using his speed, his height, uh, and his leaping ability. I mean, I think he had a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical at the Combine. So he's a guy who you have him streaking down the field, and you can kind of just throw the ball up, and he can go get it. He had 13 contested catches last season and 13 deep receptions per pro football focus. Um, so he's a guy who can really make big plays down the field for you. Um, some of his knocks against him, uh, route running needs to work on his route running, his separation, his short area quickness. That's why he primarily worked on the outside. It wasn't usually that slot receiver where you're kind of working in a little tight quarters there. Um, I like Alec Pierce. I, I, I'm excited for him on this team. I was a little upset when they made the pick because Sky Moore was still available. <laughs> um, and I, I like Alec Pierce, but I loved Sky Moore. Just about every ranking I saw from any website had Sky Moore above Alec Pierce. Um, obviously, the Colts know more than I do and should know more than anyone working on a website. Um, but I, I will be very interested to follow the careers of Sky Moore and Alec Pierce to see who's the better wide receiver because... I thought it was a dream that Sky Moore fell to the Colts at 53. He's a guy who could have gone in the first round. They passed on him for Alec Pierce. I don't know if it was the size that they liked about Pierce, uh, the personality, you know, just his mental makeup that they liked about Pierce. I mean, he's a very talented wide receiver in his own right, but I'll just be interested to see down the line who's the more productive receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Um, Pierce did not have the same production that some of the other receivers had in this draft, and really not even close. He wasn't even first-team All-American Athletic Conference player. He was a second-team uh, AAC player in 2021 just because other guys got more of a line share of reps, got more yards, got more touchdowns. Um, the Colts are drafting him really as a player that they project to do better things in the NFL. Um, he only had 52 catches his senior year, 884 yards, which is a good uh, good ratio there, eight touchdowns as well, had 13 deep receptions, 13 contested catches, um, and you could certainly tell that he was a mismatch for a lot of corners on deep balls. He's going to have to run a whole lot more than just deep balls, chap, in the NFL. He's going to have to expand his route tree, run some shorter routes, be better in his short route quickness. Uh, if he really wants to be a three-down receiver and, of course, also work on his blocking as well. So um, this is a guy, like a lot of drafts are, and especially when you get into the second round and especially when you trade back in the second round, you're back at 53. 
you're not exactly expecting him to be Jamar Chase right out of the bat. This is a guy like you look at some of his comparisons. One of his big comparisons was Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson eventually became an elite wide receiver in the NFL, but he was not a elite wide receiver in the NFL for the first couple of years of his career. It took him a while to work into things. And Alec Pierce, although you expect him to com- uh, you expect him off the bat to contribute somewhat to the Colts offense, I don't think it would be reasonable to expect him to come in and have this full grasp of the offense, have him be able to do everything right away and slot right in there like maybe some other receivers in this draft are able to do. Again, this is the thing that the Colts say down the line. We think he has a lot of potential to do well if he works with our staff, he works with Reggie Wayne and Marcus Brady and Frank Reich for a while. I'm not saying that he's nothing right now. Far from it. I'm just saying that what you can expect from him this year has to be limited because of uh, what he was has shown so far in college and what he will be expected to do in the NFL. But but that's a problem because they need contributions, you know, now because of the way they've structured this receiver core and the tight end tight end group. You know, f- to have your your second round pick come in and have twenty five catches for three hundred and forty yards is not going to work. It just isn't. And this team's history of of rookies excelling right out of the gate is not real good. They've had I think it's two with over five hundred catches and two or three over 40 catches, whatever, or yards and catches. So they, they need him to step up and be a factor right away. We'll see how they scheme it. Again, a lot of it will depend on who's who's the third guy or is Pierce the third guy. Do they bring T.Y. back? Joe brought up a really interesting point, and it's how it always is. With Sky Moore going to pick after Indy to, what, Kansas City? It's going to be kind of similar to, uh, was it two years ago where it was T. Higgins and Michael Pittman. Yep. Back to back was a 33 and 34, I think it was. So it'll be really interesting to sort of find. And it goes back to uh, 99 when it was Edron James and Ricky Williams. These guys, they're sort of tied at the hip. And you always watch how they progress. So it normally takes these guys a year or two, unless you're just that elite, unique player. But the Colts need more than just early growing pains from their second round pick it's because of the way they've handled the position. My, my take on, go ahead, Joe, go ahead. Oh, sorry. What I will say positively about, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm dragging on Alec Pierce. He's a guy with a lot of talent that I do like what he can give the Colts right away is something they need badly is a deep threat. He's got the speed to beat players down the field. He's got the size to go up and get it. He does add an element to the Colts wide receiver core that they didn't currently have but he's not necessarily that complete wide receiver right away. And something that I loved about Sky Moore was that his run after the catch ability was tremendous. He turned into a running back. And while you're still developing as a wide receiver, something you can do while you're still working on your routes is run after the catch, get him screen passes. That's not really Alec Pierce's game. So just comparing those two types of wide receivers, I thought more might be more ready to contribute right away, but Pierce will be a factor in the red zone and on deep passes immediately for the Colts. I'll tell you who else they hope is a contributor in the red zone, and that's a 6'7 tight end, Jelani Woods, drafted out of Virginia. Uh, he's a rather older rookie. He's going to be turning 24 years old in October. Um, in addition to being 6'7, he weighs 253 pounds. Ran a 4.61 40-yard dash. That is, again, fast for a large man. 
um, at the combine uh, and jumped nearly 38 inches in his vertical jump. He actually came to college as quarterback, and he told us the story. His rookie, his uh, freshman year at uh, Oklahoma State in a uh, bedlam week, they had him um, on the scout team, basically pretending to be Mark Andrews, the former Oklahoma tight end. And he absolutely ripped to shreds the first team Oklahoma State defense. So coaches called him into their office like that next week. It was like, hey, guy, you're pretty big. How about you do this? And uh, it, it turned out pretty well for him. And he's now being drafted into the NFL as a third-round pick here coming to the Colts. Um, Chap, uh, we'll get more on Drew Ogletree in a little bit, but I, I don't think you can really talk about Woods without at least mentioning him as well and also Mo Alley-Cox. Those three together, 6'5", 6'7", 6'7", I don't think that there's another tight end room in the NFL that boasts that type of size. And so this, these, the, the Colts definitely have an idea of the type of person they want at that position. They've taken several years to shape Mo Alley-Cox into a guy they really do like and have now signed him to a contract to be here as kind of the, the guy that's coming back, really the number one tight end in his first opportunity to do so. Uh, Jelani Woods, uh, kind of in that same mold, a huge guy, an athletic guy that uh, they hope can have an impact. Yeah, I think the tight end that'll be really on the spot this year is Kylan Granson, because because they've got the the three guys that are sort of the power forward group. If you're having if you've got an off season basketball program, you're going to dominate the tape the, the paint, but you need to have Grant Granson sort of emerge and be s- sort of Dallas Clark like to to be the guy to get down the field and and stretch defenses because the other guys they seem to be again. They're like Moali Cox 2.0 and 3.0, which is, which is not a bad thing to have. Because I go back to Jack Doyle last year and how many times we see the the big runs from Jonathan Taylor. It included key blocks from a tight end at the line of scrimmage. But at the same time, you've got to have that pass-catching tight end. And whether these got one of these guys, Woods, or 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 maybe Moali Cox, I sort of think he is who he is at this point. So Granson, I think, really needs to step up and be that complimentary guy that the other the other three guys really don't seem to be at this point. Joe, what'd you think about the pick of Woods here in the third round? I like the pick. I was excited about it. I was slightly surprised they took him over uh, Greg Dulcich, who we talked about from UCLA, I think the couple weeks prior. But uh, Woods really fits what the Colts need was an inline tight end with Jack Doyle moving on. Uh, he can kind of serve as that third tight end going into the season behind Granson and behind Mo Cox and develop from there. A tight end is usually one of the positions where it takes uh, players a year or two to transition to the NFL just because all of a sudden you're blocking NFL defensive ends, which is a huge task, um, and you're trying to run away from you know safeties and linebackers that are just as big and fast as you are when that was not necessarily the case at the college level. But I watched the final, uh, the finale of the um, with the next pick, that Colt series on the draft. It really gave you a look into their draft room. And the word that just kept being brought up with Jelani Woods was unique. And he has unique size, unique athleticism at that size. And he looked pretty good as a receiving entity his final season. Uh, at Virginia after transferring away from Oklahoma State um, gave him more of an opportunity to be a vital part of the offense. 44 catches, nearly 600 yards, eight touchdowns, 
Uh, he had 11 broken tackles, most in the ACC per f- pro football focus. So he's a guy who can do something after the catch. You look at his highlights, and guys are just bouncing off of him. So I think Jelani Woods is someone who is similar to Mo Ali Cox, but is starting his NFL career um, at a more advanced position where Mo Ali Cox, I mean, he was just a basketball player. He basically had to learn everything. Jelani Woods has that same size, I think more athleticism, more speed, and is much more advanced coming into the NFL. So he's an exciting player who I think has Pro Bowl potential down the line. Yeah, I, I, I'm right on board with you there that uh, that you you see the Mo Alley-Cox comparisons and that he should be well ahead of Mo. Mo came to league back in 2017. Like, he's been a Colt for a really long time. This is five years in the NFL for him right now. and um, but, but he hadn't played organized football, I believe, since his freshman year of high school um, when the Colts uh, drafted him. Well, not drafted him, since when the Colts signed him. Uh, way back in 2017. So, um, so yeah, you, you certainly expect things not to take five years for Jelani Woods to be in the same breath as Mo Ali Cox is right now. You, you hope it takes much much shorter period of time. But, but still, for a guy who was a quarterback coming into college and really for his first three years of college didn't do all that much, he transferred for, to Virginia, and then Mike had a whole lot more uh, action in the offense, um, caught 44 balls for nearly 600 yards, eight touchdowns, which is a really good season in Virginia. Still, for a guy that uh, you, you, you still think that he's going to have to adjust being an inline tight end to NFL defensive ends as well uh, and just keep learning the position, which he, he did in college, I guess. Uh, and, and I think that that's, it's, it's a good thing that he had four years in college. But um, I don't know how much he does impact the Colts again this year. It's, it's kind of the same thing to me as Alec Pierce, that this is, again, a pick that they're looking looking down the line and not something that's immediate impact. And that's not saying he won't have any impact, but um, I, I would not bet on Woods to have, you know, more than more than three touchdowns this year. If, if you're looking on, on what he can do, could he? Yeah, maybe if they really, really try to get him involved in the red zone. But um, th- this is another pick that uh, I think it does meet a need, like Joe was saying, as an inline tight end. But it's, again, somewhere that just needs, I think, some refinement to really be more of an impact player. He's not going to be, I don't think, much of an impact player in, in year one. Yeah, because, I, again, I think a lot will depend on on Granson's development year one to year two because that's what the, he's yeah. the guy they really need to step up. And, and we saw flashes last year. And, boy, he's a smurf compared to these. What is he, 6'3"? 6'3", 2'4"? 6'3", 6'2", yeah. 6'2", or 6'3". And, and these guys, again... And these guys are again the power forward type, so I like to pick. And we again going into the draft, we, we said receiver, tight end, and, and they gave you know three picks on those positions. I wouldn't have minded another receiver later on, other than the second tight end, just because I'm hung up on on wide receivers. But uh, I, I just think, and, and again, we'll get to the guy now to trade back to get Pierce. They got pick seventy seven, and it allowed him to address another need. Yep, and uh, 77th overall in the third round. The second pick the Colts got there from that trade with the Vikings to move back there in the second round is a Central Michigan offensive tackle Bernard Raymond. And guys, I'll tell you, out of, out of all the drafts I did on Pro Football Focus, uh, Raymond never fell to the Colts at 42, much less into the third round at 77. So um, it, it just goes to show you that they have their rankings and NFL teams have their rankings um, because as Chris Bauer has told us in the past, when it t- comes to filling left tackle, like those guys that have unique traits don't just fall out of the sky and, and people know who they are for the most part. 
they don't get past NFL teams up there in the first round, if they think that they have a good surefire left tackle prospect, they're not going to sink too far down. So in the third round, if you get someone, you know that there are uh, not maybe not concerns with the guy, but certainly reasons why he's he's down there. He's not a, a true left tackle. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience with football, much less uh, high level football playing in Central Michigan. Joe, there's certainly reasons to be uh, optimistic about Bernard Raymond with the potential you think he has. But there are, are certainly reasons that that he fell this far down. I was surprised to see him this far down. And whenever someone you expect to go high just falls down further, I don't know. It, it, it's it's a red flag to me. It just seems like everyone in the league was a little bit less high on Raymond that, than uh, than a lot of the uh, prognosticators were. The Colts would say, "Hey, that's to our benefit because we like him. That's why we drafted him. Maybe he can be a left tackle of the future." Um, uh, but uh, what you uh, what was your opinion about getting Raymond at seventy seven overall in the third round? I was shocked as well that he lasted that long. I was very excited about it because we talked in podcast after podcast, act, true left tackle prospects don't last this long in the draft. I think a couple of the knocks against him is he's an older player. He'll be 25 in September. That's elderly for a rookie. Um, he also doesn't have the usual length for the left tackle position, his uh, 32 and 7 eighth inch arms, so not even 33 inches. Usually you like those to be 34 inches, so he doesn't have the length you desire either. But he has the athleticism, he has the movement skills. He played well at Central Michigan. Pro Football Focus said he's only given up one sack since switching to left tackles. Uh, two tackle, not even left tackle. So he played a bit right tackle, played left tackle all of 2021. Um, so this is a player who... I'm very excited the Colts were able to get him. He can, at very worst, be your swing tackle this year if Matt Pryor wins the left tackle job. If he wins, if Raymond wins the left tackle job in camp, then the Colts have their swing tackle from last year back in that same role with Matt Pryor. Um, so I was excited to get a guy who could potentially be the Colts' left tackle of the future. Um, obviously arm length isn't everything. We've seen guys with smaller arms be successful. I'll mention Slater again with the Chargers. Um, Braden Smith has similar size arms in the 32-inch range on the right side. I get left side's a different matter, but I think Raymond is a player who could be a franchise left tackle for this team. Pro comparisons, Jake Matthews, Sebastian Vollmer, most of the websites I looked at NFL.com, Pro Football Focus, predicted he'd go in the first round because he has that athleticism and that ability. So for the Colts to get wide receiver, tight end, and left tackle with tremendous athletic upside in the late second and third rounds, I thought was a great way for day two to go. Yeah, Mike, I, I know watching the, um, again, watching the Colts with the next pick that they put out, and we're not completely done with day two yet. We'll get to Nick Cross in a minute. But Chris Ballard was seemed elated, or as elated as he gets on draft day, uh, for how uh, his how his draft went out. We, you could you can argue how much these are going. These guys are going to contribute, and I've kind of said a, a couple things on that so far. Uh, but there's no doubt that these are the three top needs that everyone thought the Colts had, including us that we've talked about this offseason, especially when they shored up our edge rusher and Yannick Ngakwe. So you get your top three picks to to meet those three needs, quote-unquote meet those three needs. Um, so I, I'm I, you can understand why Ballard was as, as pleased as he was uh, with how the draft played out. Yeah, it's funny. When, when free agency started and we had some podcasts, it was – 
our and in Colts of Nations, our impatience showed. Well, boy, they need. We had the boxes. You need quarterback. You need receiver. You need pass rusher. You need left tackle. You need cornerback. And all along, the Colts are just were thinking, let's just be patient. You know, we we've still got plenty of time. They they seldom get involved early in free agency, and for the most part, they've checked off every box. Now, I still have. I'm a little queasy about left tackle, just because. But I, I think again that they've addressed every every position. Now we'll see if these are the right players. If you address a position with the wrong player, then it sets you back a year. You know, defensive end. How many times do we think that they got a pass rush possibility and the guy didn't pan out? But I think one thing to keep in mind with with Raymond and Chris Ballard mentioned it. You know, yes, he, he he's seen as a left tackle prospect but but I think he's got they think he can be if he has to maybe he plays guard what 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 if because he said well the best five players are going to play well, does that mean that if Raymond beats out Pryor he's your left tackle or does that mean that if they and and they really really like Matt Pryor they really do so so what what if if that's the case and then Raymond shows some some pop at right guard I I, I don't know I ideally ideally you want these guys in one spot so they can sort of learn that spot. You know, keep in mind, uh, Braden Smith is one of the top right tackles in the league. As a rookie in training camp, he was a guard. He was simply a guard. They, they, he went to tackle out of necessity because they were out of bodies, and it's worked out. So everything probably points to to Raymond being a, a backup left left tackle if Pryor can hold the position. But what, what, what if he just shows so much in the offseason and training camp that you say, you know, he's too good not to play, and you put him at right guard instead of Danny Pinner? So that, that's I think that's a reason to feel optimistic if you're a Colts fan. Like, no if question. he works out. Yeah, if he if he pans out immediately, you're, you're thrilled, and he's your starting left tackle. But you have Matt Pryor in there right now who showed a good amount of promise last year. It'd be nice to go into the year with Anthony Costanzo in his eighth to tenth year, and you you love left tackle, and you don't have to worry about it. But that's it's just realistically doesn't happen for half the teams in the NFL that you go into the season thinking your left tackle is certainly set, and you don't have to be worried about it at all. And so the Colts are unfortunately in the uh, the second half of that area. I would say they're probably in the upper 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 part of that because they they do like Pryor a lot chap like you mentioned and now they have Raymond as a third round pick and they'll see exactly how he develops throughout this offseason and that is something that he will certainly continue to do continue to develop because as we've mentioned he just hasn't played all that much football in his life you just when you're projecting you don't know exactly where his ceiling is going to be and the Colts obviously think it's going to be higher than a lot of other teams in the NFL who didn't pick him so um so uh, Bernard Rabin comes to the Colts in the third round at that point don't 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 you think that if again, maybe he has a great camp, and you and you just think he's ready. How, how ready would he have to be to start at left tackle? I, that would be such a jump. Uh, such it a would lead, be. Uh, to, to, I would rather have Matt Pryor there, where he's played, he, he he's been there, and let Raymond sort of sit and watch a little bit, unless he's just that much better. And if he's that much better, you blame, and then. Matt Pryor's your swing tackle, yeah. So it, it's a good. It's it's kind of like win-win. It would just be hard for me to see them believing a, a, a second-round rookie is ready to to make that jump and be a starting left tackle from day one. 
So at that point, we pretty much thought the Colts were done on day two of the NFL draft, and it was about 11.10, 11.15 p.m. I've got my uh, 11.20 sports cast all ready to go, and then all of a sudden you're watching TV and the Colts are back on the clock. Thanks, Chris Ballard. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I was running the live blog. I went over to make myself a drink, thinking the night was over. Yep, yep. And then all of a sudden, Chris Ballard trades back into the third round, uh, trades their 179th overall pick, uh, and a 2023 third round pick for the 96th overall pick from Denver to take safety Nick Cross. Cross is basically the opposite of the uh, older guys we've talked about so far. He's pretty young. He's only 20 right now. He'll turn 21 in September. Uh, he's a safety out of Maryland. Uh, ran a 4-3-4 40-yard dash at the Combine, and he's the guy that I remembered earlier that ran a 4-2-8 in a, uh, in a different workout that uh, uh, the Colts director of college scouting, I think it was Morocco Brown, said during their, uh, with the next pick, uh, their latest one that's out there. So um, honorable mention, all Big Ten the last three years. Uh, last year had 67 tackles, three sacks, three picks, four press break- breakups, uh, three and a half tackles for loss. He's a guy that uh, when the Colts talked to us about him, and then, of course, you also saw it on there with the next pick, they anticipated him being a second-round talent, at least if he stayed in college for another year. So, again, this is a guy that they are projecting to do better, and so that's why they felt the need to jump back into this third round to get him now. They thought that his future potential uh, outweighed the cost of trading next year's third round pick because you think that you'd have to spend a second next year if he had gone back to get him. Mike, safety, not necessarily, you would think, a need for the Colts because they have three pretty decent ones when they're all healthy right now in Kari Willis, Julian Blackman, and Rodney McLeod. Um, at the very least, Nick Cross will jump in, you think, be a special teams contributor from day one and fill a George Odom role. But in the long term, maybe he's a guy that you have in the wings to replace either Akari Willis or a Julian Blackman. Uh, did I say Julian or Justin before? If I did, said Justin, excuse me. I like I, I still haven't gotten that completely out of my system. But uh, but uh, maybe he's a guy that can do that depending on how he develops and what happens over the next couple years with those guys. Yeah, I think Will is it Willis entering his his contract year, and and he's you know I think he's been a really really good player, and he's been injured. He he he's missed time. And it's that point of his, of a player's career, not just Willis, but any player's career, where as as management you're thinking, is this a guy? If he has another strong year, do we re, do we re up him? And if not, then you plan on you have to make contingency plans. And to to tell you that how much they like you mentioned, how much they valued Cross, Ballard does not give up future picks, a third round pick. I mean that, that's a monster pick. Uh, so for him to do that, he, and he, he just gushed about the guy. And it's funny, we talked to Jim Irsay, I think it was on Saturday. He's always good for a soundbite or two. And he said, I don't want to make comparisons, but and then he mentioned Bob Sanders' name. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like, remember how Chuck Pagano said that uh, Malik Hooker was the second coming of Ed Reed, reminded me of Ed Reed, and now we got Bob Sanders' comparisons. But they like this guy. And I, I can see him fitting in that in that rotation, certainly if injuries happen. But as far as, as future at the position, this is the guy that, that fits that need big time. Yeah, I, I love the Nick Cross pick. I thought he was a player who would go higher in the draft. He is a hard-hitting safety with a ton of speed. I think that's where the Bob Sanders 
uh, comparisons come from. <clears throat> I saw. I, I wish I remember who said it on Twitter uh, so I could credit them, but they said the Maryland defense was a mess last year. They used Cross basically at the back end of the defense to clean everything up. Well, on the Colts defense, that's not the case. They can use him more appropriately as a box safety where he can see what's in front of him and go attack um, and just use his explosive explosive athletic ability to get to the ball carrier in a hurry and deliver a pop once he gets there. I think this is the Kari Willis replacement. Kari Willis has been a good safety for the Colts, a good box safety, but he's not exactly the kind of player who comes up with a bunch of turnovers, a bunch of game-changing plays. And so when it comes time to re-sign him, I think the Colts are going to see him more like a, um, uh, uh, Anthony Walker, where he's a good player, but his value isn't quite there to sink the money into him with so many other players needing contracts as well. So I love the cross pick. I think it kind of rounds up a very exciting day two of the draft for the Colts um, with players who should be able to contribute at least in some fashion right away, but long-term athleticism, athleticism, athleticism. I would not be surprised if two of these um, four players end up being Pro Bowl guys because they just have that kind of upside with the kind of athletes that they are. And uh, the last thing I'll say about it here is we keep referencing the with the next pick, but it gives you such a peek into what the front office was thinking. They were saying they thought all these guys they took from Pierce uh, to Woods to Raymond down to Cross were all guys who they didn't know if they'd be there at 42, let alone to get them in the third round. Um, I remember in the video, they asked Frank Wright at 42. They were debating Woods or Pierce at 42, and he said it's really 50-50 for me to go back and be able to get Woods at 73, to get Raymond at 77, Chris Ballard was elated, and then to love Nick Cross so much that you trade a future third-round pick to get a guy like this the Colts are thrilled with their draft class, and as a fan, seeing athletes like this come onto your team, you have to be excited as well. You know, when you get past that, then to uh, to the day three picks, um, you're you figure you feel pretty good about day two. You go into day three. Honestly, there were some some I'll, I'll call them puzzling picks to me. I'll, I'll just say that because you have a couple on the defensive line that you didn't know exactly were you would think they were needs. So they're guys they obviously felt highly about with Eric Johnson and Curtis Brooks there in the fifth and sixth round. If you have tight end, Andrew Ogletree in the sixth round is a guy, I mean, you drafted a tight end earlier in the draft as well. So you went out and got another one. If, if you have these guys ranked highly, that's great. And you want to take the highest guy on your board. That that's great. Um, then you finally get to a defensive back later and Rodney Thomas there in the seventh round of, that we thought that could be a need with corners. Uh, if they said that he had some corner traits, so maybe they're going to try to make him into a corner. I don't know, but um, there, there were definitely, and then you, you draft, it, it was just, there were some, there were some, I don't know. You, you guys can probably get the hint that I'm, I'm not as high on this Colts draft as, as some people might be. And it's because it's because when you look at it as a whole, like, I don't know how much, impact they really get this year or even next year out of this draft if you look long term yeah I think you can you can get some good you, you're going to get one or two good players at least out of this draft but you look at how good the AFC is right now and what the Colts are saying about about their goals throughout this offseason and next year and trying to get in the playoffs and you look at what other AFC teams have done to get better or solidify their spot in the playoffs 
And I don't know how much this draft really helps them over the next year or two. Maybe I'm completely wrong, and, and that's fine if I am. Uh, I just, just right now, I, I don't see it from, from this entire group um, of guys. And it, it's, again, like I said, I, I could be wrong, but nobody here just wowed me to the sense that this guy is going to make such a great impact that uh, you have to include the Colts really in the discussion of being a playoff team that can have a tremendous impact on the postseason in January and like can be a really scary team because I don't know, maybe I'm putting too much of an too much of an impetus on this one draft class too to be able to do that. And and I think that would be fair, a fair criticism of how I feel about it. But I'm just I just wasn't completely sold by by the group. And maybe like if if either of you two guys want to straighten me out, that's perfectly fine. And if you want to talk about any of these guys later in the, on this day three, uh, that that's fine too. But I just wanted to to get that out there that at the end of the day, I was not completely wowed by this group that that is being brought in. I, I'm not completely wowed, but but I think they did do what they needed to do. Uh, maybe I'd like to have seen a a, a a a different option at 42, but when you can when you can slide back and get Pierce and a left tackle, that's win. That that that's win. But again, like I said, the way they've treated the position, he has to be a factor. He just can't be a guy like Reggie Wayne's rookie year, where he, I, I don't know if he had 20 or 25 catches, whatever it was. He, he wasn't for a lot of reasons. Wasn't that guy? Wasn't that guy like until his third year? So. They've boxed themselves into where Pierce has to come in and be. I'm not saying a thousand yards. I'm not saying 800 yards, but but he's got to make a difference. And I think Raymond can make a difference. And I tell you one thing: to, to look outside Indy, when Tennessee goes and gets rid of AJ Brown, and and they what they then they 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 drafted uh, was it Burks in the first round? And somebody said, well, they just got a younger AJ Brown. It doesn't work that way. AJ Brown was a quality player. And so I think Tennessee got a. I think they got a little bit worse. I, I do. So I, I think they're. And most most odds makers agree. I think most odds makers have the Colts a slight favorite in the AFC South now. And I think a lot of that go, a lot of that most of that goes back to Matt Ryan, I believe. But I, I I think they did what they needed to do. I still think they should have done, and maybe they will do something else at veteran receiver. I don't. I still don't like the receiver core. I just don't. I would have used a – instead of taking a second tight end who would seem like very much like Jelani Woods, I'd have taken a receiver, although the receivers they've taken late haven't really emerged. Remember Deion Kane and, and Reese Fountain didn't work out. Uh, I'm a little surprised they didn't take a linebacker uh, late on, on day two. You know, the Jordan Glasgow type guy who gives you special teams. But, you know, I, I, this, isn't, I, this isn't to me an A-plus draft. But I like what they did. They need they, they did what they needed to do, and I I do think they've done enough thus far to be at least a co-favorite in the AFC South. And right now, that's all they need to be uh, is win your division. Beyond that, get in, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, speaking to kind of the impact that the players are going to be able to make right away out of this draft class. I mean, when you're picking at 53, 73, 77, 96, you're usually not going to get instant impact players. I mean, those are the guys who go in the first round, high second round. So I think uh, part of what factors into the grading of this draft class is the fact that the Colts didn't have a first round pick to get that guy who you go 
we can count on him right away to make an immediate impact like a quitty pay who I mean, didn't get the eight sacks that I predicted last year, but was still an impactful player, a starting player on that defense. Um, more specific to day three, D-tackle Eric Johnson from Missouri State, Andrew Ogletree tied in from Youngstown State, Cincinnati D-tackle Curtis Brooks, and then Rodney Thomas. I mean, this is a classic Chris Ballard day three. Usually by day three, he's picking guys who you go, who, who just end up for whatever reason, are their guys. They have the traits or character they like. They doubled down on athletic defensive tackles. And Brooks is a guy who had seven and a half sacks last year for Cincinnati. So maybe they they weren't happy with the depth at defensive tackle. Um, and they wanted to make sure that or hope that they get a guy who, if Buckner goes down, can kind of fill in and still rush the passer from that defensive end position. Of course, none of them are going to be DeForest Buckner, but I think they wanted some more athleticism on the inside to give them that depth. Um, Ogletree is just a guy who they're throwing a dart at his athleticism. He's a former wide receiver. Most places I saw didn't even think he'd be drafted, but the Colt that's never scared the Colts off in the past. So, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say there's a decent chance of these day three players that maybe only one makes the 53-man roster or two. Like, And we've seen this from past drafts with Chris Ballard where day three draft picks don't make the roster. Sean Davis last year, safety out of Florida, didn't even make the roster, and they came into this offseason um, with a need at safety depth and have addressed it. But I think Chris Ballard's philosophy, for better or worse, on day three is to kind of take boomer bust swings on guys and they end up – either being good players for them, like a Grover Stewart who can develop down the line and be a good starter, or guys who won't even make the roster, uh, which might be a couple of these names we just mentioned. Yeah, I, I like everything both of you guys said. And, and as per usual, Chap kind of put my my words and made them made them sound better, uh, saying that I, I, I think I, I think the Colts put themselves in this position to need some more play, need some more playmakers on the outside. And I just don't know if they got them from this draft. So um, so, yeah, I I. I it, when I say that that I don't overly love this draft and I lump all these day three picks together, I don't mean to say that I was expecting day three picks to ha- have a day one impact, you know. Um, but it just some of the positions kind of just confused me, and that's that's why I was I kind of I started to talk about it there. Like, yeah, I think that they could use some help on the defensive line, but I thought that they could use more help on the outside of the defensive line because really, right now, Ben Banigou is your fourth edge, your fourth edge guy. And I your third believe, is Tyquan. I can't believe he's. St- I, I did a breakdown the other day. I had to do a double take that he's still on the roster. Yeah, and your third is Tyquan Lewis, who's coming off a, a big, big injury. So, like, you have your two starters there, and Quiddy Pay and Yannick Ngakwe. But then after that, it's a it's a huge question mark on the outside and what you can do. And they they Chris Ballard always says you want eight there, guys that you can rely on to go in and you can rotate and you could play. So. I mean, it, it was just just to not add anything at uh, at defensive end was puzzling. To kind of doubling up on D, on tight end was puzzling. Uh, to n- not have a cornerback, a true cornerback anywhere was a little puzzling. 
So to me, there's a whole lot of questions still coming out of this draft. And not to say that the Colts can't get good players down the road. And that's something Chris Bowers talked about all the time. You don't just get good players in March at free agency. You don't just draft them in April. And he's proven that he can do that in the past. You go out and get players in June like a Mike Adams when you need him. You go out and you get a player like Kenny Moore off the uh, off the uh, the Patriots uh, waiver wire um, to, to bring him in at the uh, at the end of the cut to 53. So uh, so you can find players elsewhere. But um, there are just some spots right now that I think are still open, I think. And that's kind of what is uh, kind of steering my feelings maybe on this draft a little bit and no doubt the Colts drafted and targeted high-end athletes in this draft per next-gen stats the Colts draft class had the second highest athleticism score out of anybody Um, they were certainly older than most majority of their picks will be 24 years old or older as rookies Um, I, I, I really don't love giving grades to draft classes just because I I don't know. It's just always felt weird for me to do so. And judging by my tone throughout this entire podcast, I'm sure you guys would know that it would not be great, uh, from me anyway, just because I think there's a lot that's still to be determined about this class as there is for so many, but this one, maybe even more so than, than most of the time or most of the ones from the past, in my opinion. So, uh, how do you guys, when you look at this entire draft, um, do you evaluate it from from the Colts standpoint? Joe, we'll start with you, and then Chap, you can go uh, second. I uh, I'm I'm a little more happy with the draft than you are, and maybe that's just most people are. To be fair, so that's fine. <laughs> I give it a B plus. Um, I think they address positions of need with high upside players, guys who are good athletes with high character, who at very least will be good backups, but. If everything hits right with them, they could be superstars in the league. Um, I It would have been a higher grade if you know the lack of a first-round pick does ding this draft a little bit. And for me personally, the Sky Moore versus Alec Pierce, if they had taken Sky Moore, it would have probably been an A-. minus. Um, so that's, that's where I stand with that. I think there was a better wide receiver on the board, but I, I really hope that I'm wrong and Alec Pierce makes me eat my words, but I got to give it a B plus. Okay. Chap, you're next. Yeah, I, I, I'd give it a B and not, not for the players that they picked because we don't know. I mean, we don't know. I, I do it more. Did you address the needs you needed to address? We can talk all, you know, and GMs talk about best player versus need. Ballard so much early in drafts has has hit needs. Maybe that's just where the player and and the need intersect on his draft board. But they early on first second day they or not first day but second day they they hit the needs they had to hit because again like I say they they sort of put themselves in that box and again the shrewdest move was to, to slide back and get Pierce and and, and then get your left tackle when. So many mock drafts had Raymond going bottom of the first round, early second round. So they they they, they doubled up there. I don't know how many sec I don't know how many third round or third day picks make the roster. I'm not crazy about the tackles, the defensive tackles. I, they they need to have one of them to be to be a rotational guy when needed. But uh, I I like what they did only because they drafted they they filled areas of need. I just thought they boxed themselves into where they really, really needed wide receiver. I would have liked one more receiver instead of a second tight end. That's just me. The Colts definitely were a team that, that got some some good marks for their draft when you look at uh, draft grades from a lot of uh, national writers. 
Um, and they got some some that were less than uh, good as well. It was so so I, I'm glad that we have a little bit of both sides here on this podcast, talking about the good they had and talking about maybe some of the the things that were bad that they had. So like I, I'll mention that like Chad Reuter, I, and I tweeted this out of NFL.com. Like he gave 19 teams either an A or an A minus grade in his drafting, but he gave the Colts a C, which was the lowest grade that he gave any team, and no one else got a C. Everyone else was C plus or better. So he literally thought the Colts draft was the worst in the league. Um, so I mean, a, a lot. And I'm, he is a bit of an outlier here. Like a lot of teams gave the Colts A minus or A uh, or B plus, like right in that range that you guys were giving them. I think that was the majority. But there were a couple people in there that gave him that C, that D plus, that B minus as well, uh, sprinkled in. So um, it, it's definitely it's it's not a draft that is uh, by by any stretch like widely loved or widely hated. And uh, that's how a lot of them are. There's a lot of people with some different opinions, but I, I know the people inside Colts headquarters are pretty happy with what they've got. And we don't have a ton of time left, um, but we will mention that the Colts did bring in a free agent draft class as well. That includes uh, some kid uh, named Marcel Dabo, a cornerback out of Germany that the Colts got through the NFL's international player pathway. They can carry him on the roster, but he can be carried on as an extra practice squad player throughout this season. And Joe, if you look at him, he really definitely follows the the athleticism uh, mold that the Colts would draft. He's just a guy that has very, very little experience out of Europe and this special player uh, program that the NFL has instituted. And I'm sure the Colts are very happy to have him in-house as someone who will not count up against the roster for this year as he learns the ropes. Yeah, he's a high-end athlete, 4'4", 140, 40-inch vertical uh at a position that the Colts need long-term answers at a cornerback. Um, maybe he can contribute as a kick returner right away. He did return kicks over in the European League. Uh, but he, in terms of undrafted free agent signings, he's one of the more excited guys uh, that you could land. So that is our Colts Blue Zone podcast for this post-draft special. We might get into some more free agents later on as that class continues to grow and we continue to learn a little bit more about them. So we'll save a little bit of that discussion for later. But we certainly hope you enjoyed this one. You can certainly subscribe to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as it drops. You can follow us on Twitter as well, at Colts Blue Zone. Get Colts news and notes throughout the week. And read up on Mike Chappell's work online at fox59.com or cbs4indy.com. You can follow us individually on Twitter at mchappell51, at Roto Street Joe, and at DaveG underscore sports. For Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. We appreciate you listening, and we will see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 